I heard a story uh, not long ago about this guy who was pulled over by a police officer. And the officer came up to the window of the car and said, you know, don't worry, you didn't do anything wrong. We're just randomly pulling people over, and if you have your seatbelt on, I'm authorized to give you this gift. And so he hands the guy a check for $1,000. Of course, the guy was blown away, and the officer said, so what are you going to do with $1,000? And the guy looked at the officer and said, well, I guess I'll go to driving school so I can get my license. <laughs> yeah. To which uh, his wife, who was sitting next to him, leaned over and said, officer, don't pay any attention to him. He always gets sarcastic when he's been drinking. <laughs> and uh, about that time, the guy in the back seat who was sleeping wakes up, sees the officer, and goes, man, I knew we weren't going to get away with this stolen car. And, uh, and then there was a, a knock from the trunk, and a voice yelled out, are we at the border yet? And so that has absolutely nothing to do with what I'm going to share with you this morning. I just thought that was funny. I don't know why I thought that was so funny, but I thought it was. Um, so you're welcome. I, I, I heard this statement uh, several years ago, and uh, I can't remember exactly who said it. I've never forgot the statement. I forgot who said it, but uh, it stuck with me, and the statement is this, uh, fortresses without gates are not places of refuge, instead they're prisons. Fortresses without gates are not places of refuge, but instead they are prisons. In, a, in other words, sometimes, you know, people build up walls thinking that they're protecting themselves, when in reality all they're doing is imprisoning themselves. The, the, the same walls that keep other people out, we have to understand this, the same walls that keep other people out are the walls that wind up locking them in. And so uh, it, it's interesting because the thing that determines the difference between a place of safety and a prison are simply gates, gates. And so this morning, as we enter into this week of Thanksgiving, I want to talk to you about the importance of building gates in our lives, especially in regards to giving thanks. And uh, we're going to look at a number of different passages of Scripture this morning. And so if you've got your Bibles, we're going to jump right in. I want to begin in Isaiah chapter 60. And so you can turn there if you've got your Bibles, Isaiah chapter 60. And as you're turning there, just to kind of help us understand what we're going to be reading here, uh, if you go back a chapter to Isaiah chapter 59... The prophet Isaiah is writing about, he's describing a very dark season or period in the history of Israel. The, the people have rebelled against God, and they're living in deep sin, and as a result of their sin, they are living in this period of time that is not only dark, but they, they, they have lost the presence of God in their lives. And so Isaiah, he describes this period of time in the history of Israel as a time of great darkness. In fact, he says this, he says, we hope for light, but only behold darkness. We grope around like blind men. We grope like those who have no eyes. And so this is the state that the people of Israel are in. And then we get to chapter 60, and all of the sudden, Isaiah takes a turn. And he begins this chapter like this. It says, Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. Arise and shine. That the people are living in darkness. And, and, and Isaiah speaks this prophetic word 
God is giving his word through Isaiah prophetically, and he says, arise. I know you don't see it yet, but but take action. Arise. Do it before you see it. Arise and shine. He says, take action. Why? Because your light has come. Now, now you may not see it yet. Things still may look dark, but, but he says, arise anyway. In other words, let the action that you take be based not on what you see or what you're experiencing right now, but rather let your action be based on what God says. I thought I'd get a better reaction than that. That's a good word right there. Let your action, let the way you respond be based not on what you see or what you're experiencing in the moment, but let how you respond, how you behave, how you react be based on what God says rather than what you see. Of course, we know in in John chapter 1, John tells us that the light of which Isaiah has prophesied about has come, that that John calls Jesus the light of men that shines in the darkness. And then I love this. He says that no matter how dark the darkness is, that the darkness cannot overcome the light of Jesus. And so Isaiah says this. He's talking about this. He says, arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. I love this because Isaiah is talking in past tense of what hasn't happened yet. He just believes it so much that he's like, he's just behaving as if it has already happened. He says, arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. It goes on, he says, see, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the people, but the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Now, I don't want you to miss this. I don't want you to miss what's taking place here. This is such a wonderful promise that has been given to us. And the promise is this. The promise is that in times of great darkness and difficulty, some of you may be in that season of life right now. If if this is you right now, this promise is for you. In seasons of great darkness and difficulty, The promise that God has given to us is that his grace will overshadow whatever difficulty we may have to face in life. What a great promise. In Romans, Paul says it like this. He says, where sin abounds, grace what? Does much more abound. In other words, grace always abounds more. Grace always abounds more. And so we know, and many of us have experienced this in our lives, that it is in those seasons, in those times, where things may look their worst, when life may seem the darkest, this is the precise moment when God loves to show up. It's in those seasons where God loves to show up and he takes our painful and difficult circumstances and he uses the very darkness that is causing us so much pain. Oftentimes he'll use that very darkness to accomplish something good and wonderful and marvelous where he is glorified. Wow, isn't God good? And so listen, I want you to understand this because when Isaiah talks about this darkness, when John talks about the light, that we're not talking about light and darkness existing at the same time. We're not talking about them coexisting. The promise is, is that darkness will always be defeated by light. 
That's the promise. They don't coexist. Darkness always is defeated by light. It says the light has come. This light has come, and because it's come, the darkness cannot overcome it. And so listen, what you need to understand is whenever light shows up, darkness is immediately defeated. Every time. I mean, we could turn the lights off in here and it could be completely dark, but the moment we flip the light switch, it's not light and darkness, it's just light because the darkness has been defeated. Darkness cannot exist in the presence of light. Okay, so what's all that have to do with gates? Let's, let's, let's go and we'll get to that, all right? The first part of this chapter, Isaiah 60, is the promise that God not only sees our darkness, but he's sending a light that he has promised will defeat whatever darkness we face. And we're going to jump down to verse 18. This is the part that really jumps out to me. The last part of verse 18 says this. Isaiah says, and you will call your walls salvation and your gates praise. You will call your walls salvation and your gates praise. In other words, in this whole idea of the light of God defeating darkness and pain in our lives, Isaiah says that there is a partnership that is intended to take place between us and God in this process. Salvation, he says, that's God's part, right? Salvation is God's part. Only, only God can bring salvation. So that's God's responsibility. But praise is whose responsibility? Ours. Praise is our responsibility. Salvation is what God does, but praise is what we're expected to do. In other words, when it comes to darkness being defeated in our lives, there is this co-laboring that is being described here in this metaphoric wall and gates that Isaiah is talking about. There's this role that God has. He's the one, it's his job that is to, to save me. He's going to bring salvation. I can't save myself. And so he provides salvation but my role in the process, my response is to be one of praise. My role in this whole process, my job is to praise him and to praise him continually and to praise him no matter what. It says that his job is salvation. Who knows that God is a faithful God? He always does what he says he will do. And so when he says he's going to bring salvation, what that means is he's going to bring salvation. And so God does what he does. My role in that is to trust him and believe him. And in the midst of whatever circumstances are going on in my life, regardless of how dark it is, my job is to praise him. His job are the walls of salvation. My job are the gates of praise. Salvation, you know, walls. Walls, walls are intended, again, to protect and so it's those walls that keep me secure. I find safety in that place. Your walls will be called salvation and your gates praise. Now it's interesting because if you follow this theme through Isaiah that develops here in chapter 60, by the time you get to chapter 62, he kind of continues this theme and he says, and your salvation, this wall of salvation will be like a torch that is burning. I love Bible imagery because it gives us this picture. I mean, it's so vivid. Here I am. I have these walls of salvation that protect me, and they have become walls of fire. And it reminds me of what God says in Zechariah chapter 2, verse 5. He said, then I myself 
will be a protective wall of fire around Jerusalem, says the Lord, and I will be the glory inside the city. And, and so God says, I will be this wall of fire around you. I will be your salvation. This is such a beautiful picture that regardless of what's taking place out there, Regardless of what's happening around me, that God himself has promised that he will protect me here, a wall of fire, a wall of salvation. And so this is what God does. But we also have a personal responsibility. It says, he is the wall of salvation. My responsibility is the gates of praise. He's the wall. I'm the gates. The wall of salvation, the gates of praise. I want you to jump to Revelation chapter 21. Are you guys still with me? All right, a couple of you. Good. Hopefully all this will make sense here in just a minute. Turn to Revelation chapter 21, verse 21. It says this. It says, the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each one of the gates was a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. I'm going to stop right there. Of course, John is describing this vision that he has of heaven that he's been given. And, and, and it's this new Jerusalem. And, and, and what a strange city it is. I mean, the city that, that John sees is a strange city. Here's a city where the streets are made of gold. I want you to think about that. I mean, I mean the value of everything else in the city is such that they use gold for, for paving streets. The streets are made of, of gold and yet they're transparent. And instead of a, a concrete or block wall, you got a wall of fire. That's the wall of salvation. And, and then John sees these 12 entrances, these 12 gates into the city. And each of these gates are made by one giant pearl. Each gate is a giant pearl. I mean, imagine how big and massive this pearl may be. Like, it's the size of a building. Massive pearl. For those of you who have gone to Israel with us, then you, you've seen the gates that surround the old city of Jerusalem. And you know, these gates, they're huge. And there are eight of them currently. But in this new Jerusalem that John sees, he says that there are 12. And each of these gates are going to be made from one massive pearl. And even though this is, this is a very strange picture and maybe hard for our minds to comprehend, there's a concept here that I don't want you to miss. This is very profound. And it has to do with the idea of pearls, these gates of pearls, and here it is. I'm gonna ask you this question. Do you know how pearls are formed? Yeah. This is the concept here. Pearls are developed through great discomfort and irritation. Pearls are formed when something enters into their world that, that they hadn't planned for, they hadn't designed, they hadn't brought upon themselves. Something enters into their world and it causes great discomfort and irritation. That's how poor pearls are developed, through great discomfort and irritation. And so I don't want you to miss this. The, the, this image that has been given to us of these gates of, of pearls these gates of praise, it means that the way that gates of praise are often built are in those seasons of great darkness and pain and difficulty. 
Man, that's a hard one to say amen to, isn't it? <laughs> the, the, the way that these gates of praise are built is in the seasons of darkness and difficulty and pain. And the way that they're built is when in those seasons we respond by glorifying God. <laughs> the sacrifice of praise. I don't want you to miss this. Gates, gates of praise are built by glorifying God in the midst of great difficulty. This is the way that they are built. Listen, I, I want you to understand this. I mean, think about this. Anybody can give God thanks when everything's going our way, right? I mean, anybody can give God praise when your bank account's busting, when your relationships are rocking, when your health is booming, and when the Huskers are winning, you know? <laughs> anybody can give God praise in those seasons. In the seasons of abundance, it's just easy for us to give God praise. But the real challenge comes in those seasons of darkness. The real challenge comes in those seasons of pain when I lose my job and I'm struggling financially or when I lose someone that I love or when my health begins to decline, when I face great difficulty in my life and I don't know why it's happened or how it's happened, those times you know, when I didn't do anything wrong to bring it upon myself and yet I am facing some form of tragedy in my life. You see, it's in those moments, those moments of darkness when regardless of what's happening out here, I intentionally make the decision. I choose, in spite of the darkness, to arise and shine. <laughs> because I know that the light has come. And in those moments, when by all appearance life is falling apart, I make the decision that I'm going to give him the praise that he is due, that he is still worthy regardless of my circumstances. He is worthy of my praise because he is still God. Yeah, it's in those moments when the gate is built. This is so important. Listen to what it says in Psalm 22.3. The psalmist tells us in Psalms 22 that God is enthroned on the praises of his people. I want you to think about that. That God is actually enthroned on your praise. Whenever you praise God, what you're doing is you are enthroning him. You are recognizing him for who he is, that he is king of the universe. He is God. He's enthroned on the praises of his people. But I want to ask you this. If God is enthroned, this is true. If God is enthroned on our praise, then who is enthroned on our complaining? Wow. Come on. <laughs> if God is enthroned on our praise, then... Who is enthroned? And we can substitute the word empowered here, but, but who is empowered when I worry? 
You see, the Bible instructs us. that The Bible, it gives us protocol. We're not talking about ritual here. The Bible instructs us in protocol. And in biblical protocol, in Psalms 100, it says that I will enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. I love, I love, I love the way the psalmist often talks. He tells us this is a choice. He doesn't say I have to. He says I will. It's an act of the will. I will choose to do this. And the way that I enter in to his courts, the way that I enter in through his gates is through thanksgiving and praise. This is biblical protocol. And we've talked about this before. But, but the biblical protocol in which we enter into the presence of God is in those moments when we intentionally stop and we give praise to God for who he is. We thank him for what he's done in our lives. And so we enter into his presence through those means. This is biblical protocol. And so again, let me ask you this. If the protocol is that I enter into his presence with thanksgiving and praise, then whose presence do I enter into when I worry and complain? If the gates that I open when I praise God are are, are through difficulty, if the gates that I open are into his presence, when I give thanks in the midst of trial, if the gates that I open are into his presence, then what gates do I open when I worry and complain? This is so important. This This is not a light matter. You know, one of the things I love about the Bible is that it is, it is just full of God's promises. It, it is. I mean, that's why it's so important that we read it because the Bible is full of God's promises, which are awesome, but, but I have to admit that there are some promises in there that I'm not super excited about. You know, I don't get all excited about all the promises. For instance, um, in John chapter 16, there's a promise that I'm not super excited about. It's the promise that says, in this life you will have trouble. I don't like that promise, you know? Don't get a lot of amens on claiming that promise. Yeah, I'm going to claim this promise for myself, you know? Now, it goes on to say, but don't be afraid because I've already overcome all the trouble in this world. I like that part. I like the overcome part. I just don't like the trouble part. But, but, But how many of you know that those two go hand in hand? We cannot experience the overcoming part unless we experience the trouble part. We cannot experience the victory part unless we experience the test part, the trying part, the difficult part. We cannot experience the salvation part unless we need to be saved from something. And so these these promises, they just go hand in hand. And some of these promises, I'm telling you, they're just tough. Like in Mark chapter 10, there's a story about Peter and his disciple and Jesus' disciples. You know, they've left everything to follow Jesus. And, and Jesus gives his disciples this promise. And I'm just going to read it to you from the Passion Translation out of Mark 10. I'm going to begin reading with verse 29. Jesus said, anyone who leaves his home behind and chooses me over children, parents, family, and possessions... All for the sake of the gospel. This is the promise. He says, it will come back to him a hundred times as much in this lifetime. Homes, family, mothers, brothers, sisters, children's possessions, along with persecutions. I don't like that part. Jesus says, follow me. 
And whatever you sacrifice for my sake, and trust me, when you follow me, you're going to have to sacrifice some things. You're going to have to leave your old life and enter into a new life. And so when you follow me, this is my promise that whatever you sacrifice for my sake, you're going to get back times a hundred along with persecutions. (laughs) I, I don't necessarily like that, but that's the way it works, right? I mean, we live in this world where everything is set against Jesus, we're in, we're in battles. We're in spiritual warfare. And so it just makes sense. We're going to experience blessings because of following Jesus. But come on. We can't be naive. We are also going to experience trouble and persecution because we live in a broken world. We need to be prepared for trouble too. First Peter chapter 4 says this. It says, dear friends, don't be surprised when you face fiery trials as if something strange is happening to you. I mean, this is the norm. This is what happens. This is the tension that we live in. It's the tension of of being in this world, but not of this world. It's the tension of living as citizens of, of the kingdom of God, yet on this planet. Blessings and trouble. Blessings and trouble. It's kind of like this. Income, tax. (laughs) Right? I mean, the more income you get, the more tax you get. Thankfully, God's not a socialist, so the income should always be more than the tax. Right? But this is the way that it works. Blessing and trouble. As followers of Jesus, this is the tension that we live in, that, that we're in this world. We're not of it, that we live in the now, but we're also living in the not yet. I've talked about this before, so I'm not going to go into great detail, but trust me, I understand the tension of living in this place. Blessing and trouble, I understand it full well. Most of you know this, um, as you've got to know us, but about seven years ago, Laura and I entered into one of the darkest, most painful seasons we've ever experienced in our life. We, we have a son, Noah, uh, who I've always been very close to, and I don't know, there's just something about dads and sons, you know? And so we've always been extremely close from the moment that he was born. He was my buddy. We were kind of attached at the hip. And as he was growing up, I mean, I coached his, his, uh, his baseball and football and basketball teams from the time, you know, he was young and doing t-ball all the way up to high school. And we hunted and fished together. We spent hours upon hours with each other in the backyard just playing catch with a football or a baseball. We wore a path out in our backyard where we just were back there throwing the ball back and forth. And we, we did just about everything together. And again, it's a long story. I'm not going to get into all of it. But when he got into high school, he began to experiment with alcohol and eventually drugs. And on both sides of our family, we have a, a history of addiction. And so we're susceptible to that. But before he knew it, he got sucked in. And, and, and his drug use led to him just disappearing for days. And he would go into the city. We couldn't find him. And eventually, right before we moved here, he, or right after we moved here, I guess, he wound up getting arrested and eventually was sentenced to four years in the state penitentiary for stealing a car. And, and let me tell you, anyone who has walked a journey like this as a parent or a spouse watching someone you love spiral out of control 
then you know the pain. And I can't even begin to explain the emotion, you know, as a father, first of all, watching someone who I love more than life itself, somebody who I was put on this planet to raise and protect and teach and guide, watching him, first of all, pull away, and then the great loss that I experienced with all that, then watching him struggle with the demonic influence of drugs, and then ultimately to have to sit in a courtroom watching my only son, who I had committed myself to care for and protect, condemned and shackled and sent away to a maximum security prison, and feeling like helpless, no control over the situation. And, and for me, and I, I know we all have our own pain, and so I'm not trying to uh, make you feel sorry for me in any way or compare my pain with anybody else's pain, but for me, this has been the most difficult, painful journey that I've ever been on. And again, here's why I share this with you. It's not, not for you to feel sorry for us because he's actually doing really well. We saw him yesterday and we've seen God work over and over and over again through all the junk and, and uh, we're excited he's going to be coming home next month and so you'll all get to meet him and, and so we're excited for that. But the reason I share this with you is because when I look back at the beginning of the journey, when things were at their darkest before we ever saw God move in any way, in the midst of all the pain, in the midst of all the disappointment, in the midst of all the lost, we were confronted with a couple of things. First of all, we knew that life would never be the same again, that a lot of the dreams and the hopes and the plans that we had held on to from the first time we held him in our arms, that many of those dreams disappeared the moment that the judge slammed his gavel down. And so we knew that our life would never be the same again, but secondly, I was confronted with the fact that we have a choice to make here. We, we had pain. Yeah, lots of it. We, we had loss that was reeling to us. There was no denying it. We had disappointment. You know, we had, we had prayed and we had bombarded heaven, and, and yet we didn't see any breakthrough. And so trust me, we were disappointed. We had all kinds of questions, you know, why in the world is this happening to us? How in the world did we even get here? I mean, we're, we were good parents. We didn't do everything right, but we were good parents. We, we had him in church every Sunday from the time he was born, and yet we saw other families who never went to church, you know, broken families, single parent families, and yet this wasn't happening to them. And so we had all kinds of questions. And then we had guilt. You know, maybe we should have done this, or maybe we should have tried that, or maybe we didn't pray hard enough, or maybe we didn't pray the right prayers, or maybe we didn't fast enough. We had all this stuff going on, and yet in the midst of that, I knew we had a decision to make. Either I can let all of that stuff infect me, or what I can do is I can choose to bring all of that stuff, the disappointment, the pain, the confusion, the loss, bring all of that stuff to the Father. Not, not ignore it or pretend that it didn't exist, but simply bring it to the Father. And along with that, offer my own sacrifice of praise. That's the choice. 
a sacrifice of praise, a sacrifice of thanksgiving, not because all of these things have come my way. Come on, we're not masochists, you know. Thank you, God, for sending this. No. Not because all of these things have come my way, but because in spite of all these things, I still know that he is God. In spite of all these things, I still know that he loves me. In spite of all these things, I still know that he's good and he's working for me. And I still know that this is a chapter, it's not the entire story. And that's where we've lived for the past several years. Certainly not perfectly. (laughs) But I'm telling you that I've determined, we've determined that in the darkness, we're going to arise and shine. (laughs) Regardless of what the darkness is, we're going to arise and shine because we know that the light has come. And whatever darkness we may be facing right now in our lives, that it cannot and it will not overcome the light praise be to God and so in the midst of great irritation and discomfort in the midst of great pain and loss what we're doing is we are building a gate of praise where we can enter into the presence of God and I'm telling you when we enter into the presence of God it's in his presence that everything changes Man, Laura has said this over and over again, and now I've stole it, and so I'm going to claim it as mine. But in the presence of God, he can change everything in an instant of time. The things that we have prayed for for years, the things that we have battled over for years, and it seems like nothing is changing, all of a sudden, in an instant, he can change it. And that happens when we get into the presence of God. When we're in his presence, we get a different perspective. And here's what's awesome. It's in these moments of pain and confusion and disappointment and loss that we have been given an opportunity. We've actually been given an opportunity to bring God a special kind of offering that we cannot bring to him in any other season of life. In fact, this is a once in an eternity opportunity because there's coming a day When we enter into the presence of God permanently and we're in his presence for now and forever, the scripture tells us that in his presence in heaven, there's going to be no more tears, no more crying, no more pain, no more loss, no more disappointment. We won't have this opportunity then. It's only in this opportunity, an opportunity of a lifetime, that we can come and we can bring him this costly of an offering. It's the sacrifice of praise. And it's only offered through our pain. And so we take all this stuff, pain, disappointment, loss, all the stuff that we're experiencing, we don't deny it, we offer it up. We don't hide from it, we offer it up and we honor God for always being with us even when we don't feel it. How do we know he's with us if we don't feel it? Because he said he would be. See, we respond to what he said, not what we experience, not what we feel. We, We thank him, we praise him, we honor him for never leaving us or forsaking us. How do we know that he's never gonna leave us or forsake us? Because he said he wouldn't. 
We, we, we honor him, we thank him, we praise him for giving him strength in the moment. How do we know that we have strength in the moment? Because he told us he'd give us strength in the moment. Well, I don't feel like I have it. Well, you're still standing, right? Strength in the moment. For being the one, we praise him for being the one who promised to take us through whatever we're going through. He didn't say he'd take us around it, but he did promise he'd take us through it. And so we lift up and we honor God for always being faithful, for always being with me, for always being a, a generous promise keeper, the one who is perfectly faithful and true. And when we do that, when you do that, when I do that, through the context of pain, see what's happening is there are gates that are being made out of pearls. And pearls are developed through severe irritation and comfort. They're only developed through conflict. The conflict, you know, I'm, I'm feeling this, but I'm choosing to hold on to that. I, I, I'm experiencing this, I'm seeing this, but I'm choosing to hold on to what God says. I, I'm, I'm seeing all this happen around me, but I'm choosing to hold on to who God says he is. And, and doubt is trying to creep in, but I'm choosing to hold on to faith in who I know God to be and what the word of God declares. In those seasons where all I see around me is darkness, I'm holding on to the truth that I know that the light has come. I'm going to be celebrating that over the next four weeks at Advent, that the light has come come he's already come in Isaiah's time he hadn't come yet the light has come and the darkness cannot overcome it and so I'm making the choice to arise and shine and give him my offering my sacrifice of praise why is this important the reason why this is so important is because we have to understand that gates work two ways you see, gates are not only something that we enter in through, but the gates are also something that Scripture tells us that God enters in through. Gates work both ways. I want you to listen to what it says in Psalm 24. It says this. It says, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up, you ancient doors. Why? So that the King of glory may come in. Lift up your heads, you gates. You see, there's something irresistible to God. When we take this posture of, you know what? It stinks. It hurts. I don't like it. I hate it. And as much as I wish I didn't have to go through this, still, God, I am choosing to trust in you. There's something irresistible to God that happens in those circumstances. When I, just, when I just confess with my mouth, I trust you regardless of my pain. I trust in you regardless of my disappointment. I trust in you regardless of the turnout. I am consciously choosing to trust in you. There's something irresistible. There's something welcoming to God about simply choosing I'm going to trust in you ahead of the breakthrough that I hope for. And instead of waiting till that happens, we just make the determination, you know what, I'm going I'm to just go for it now. I'm just going to give you the praise that you'll deserve then. I'm not going to wait. I'm going to give it to you now <laughs> because you deserve it now. 
I'm telling you, there's just something that happens when we determine to declare the greatness of God in the midst of pain and loss and all the junk. This past week, uh, Wednesday, I went to Kansas City and was there Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And I had the, the honor and privilege um, last year, I was invited to be part of a pastoral cohort by our general superintendent emeritus, uh, Dr. J.K. Warwick. And uh, so we meet twice a year, and I went for our fall meeting, and it's uh, 13 other pastors and district superintendents from across this, the United States. And, and uh, we just meet for a couple times a year for a couple of days just to learn from each other. And um, Friday, uh, during our last session, Dr. Warwick had invited Elizabeth Diddle, who is the head of the counseling department at Mid-American Nazarene University, and and she talked to us about resiliency, about the ability to make it through difficult times. And she talked about the importance of giving thanks, giving praise, even in these seasons. And one of the things that she shared was that one of the greatest determiners of emotional health is the ability to express gratitude. That when it comes to things like anxiety and depression and those things like that, she said that one of the, the greatest determiners of health in those areas is the ability to give thanks and have gratitude. In fact, she shared with us there are studies that show that people who are in the practice of giving thanks, by and large, experience a higher level of emotional health than those who don't practice gratitude. Not only that, listen to this. Studies have proven that giving thanks actually change a person's body chemistry to the point to where those who are thankful and express thanks on a daily basis have a lower rate of heart disease and cancer and things like that. Isn't that crazy? Simply by giving thanks. You know what that tells me? This is what we are wired to do. I mean, this is what we were created to do. And so giving thanks in every situation is the key to emotional health. It's the key to heart health. It's the key to physical health. And, and, and says, listen, again, you know, we're not talking about living in a state of denial and pretending like all the things that happen to us, the dark seasons, aren't really happening. No, we're talking about giving thanks to God, letting our faith arise above what we can't understand and control, and choosing to give glory to God not in spite of it, but in the midst of it. Paul tells us this. He says that we are to be anxious for nothing, but in what? Everything. In everything by prayer and petition with what? Thanksgiving. Present your request to God. And then here's the promise. This is such a great promise. He says when you do that, then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Paul actually gives us the key to keeping ourselves in good emotional health. He's given us this promise that, see, whenever we enter into the presence of God, we go through the gates of praise and enter into his presence. Wherever the presence of God is, there is perfect peace. And we experience a peace that even surpasses our human ability to understand why I have peace. In other words, whatever's going on in my life, there's no reason at all I should have peace, and yet I do. 
because I'm in the presence of God. When we stay connected to the Spirit of God, you know, the, the reality is there should be no off button in our prayer life. It says we're to pray about everything. There should be no off button. Everything is worth talking to him about. Everything. He, he says there's no off button to our thanks. Regardless of what my experiences are, God is still good, God is still loving, and God is still worthy of my praise. There is no off button to my praise. And so here's what I want us to do this morning. I want to invite you to stand with me. And what I'm going to ask you to do is just take a moment. And I want you to take whatever it is that came into your mind when I talked about giving thanks in the middle of difficulty. I know that for some of you, immediately a circumstance came to mind. In fact, some of you are in the middle of one right now. You're in the middle of a circumstance that you don't understand, something that you didn't ask for, something you didn't bring upon yourself, something that is bringing you great pain. And so whatever it is, whatever, whatever circumstance came into your mind, I want you to take just a moment to acknowledge it, just in your heart. God, it's here. God, I, I acknowledge that it hurts. Acknowledge the pain of it. Acknowledge the confusion that I don't understand why this happened. I don't understand how I got here. Certainly never planned for it. Just acknowledge it. Here it is, God. And it hurts. And then I want to just ask you a simple question. As you hold this thing in front of you, whatever it is, what a, that painful circumstance, that confusing circumstance, I just want to ask you this simple question. In the midst of the pain and confusion, will you determine to worship him anyway? I heard about this guy who he had made it his practice that whenever he had a problem in his life that was overwhelming, he would get away by himself. He would take two chairs and he would put them face to face and he would sit down in one of them and he'd say, devil, sit down across from me. I'm going to worship God and you're going to watch me. <laughs> Pretty good way to practice life. I'm going to worship God and you're going to watch me. This thing that you intended for evil, I'm going to rise and shine because I believe that the light, my light, has come. And in his coming, he holds every answer to every question that I don't have answers to. In his coming, he holds the answer to my pain. In his coming, he holds the answer to my confusion. In his coming, he holds everything that I need. And so I'm not going to open my gates to you. I'm going to open my gates to his presence because in his presence, there is fullness of joy. In his presence, there is peace that surpasses understanding. In his presence, there is rest. In his presence, I'm just at home. 
And so that's what we get to choose to do. We're building gates, right? And so I want to invite you this morning to take whatever situation is the most challenging for you right now and put it in front of you. And right now, choose to give God praise. <laughs> choose to give God praise. Choose to give Him praise. God, we praise you this morning. God, we honor you this morning. God, we worship you this morning because you are worthy. You are worthy of our praise. Thank you, Jesus, for being our light that shines in the darkness. And thank you this morning that we have confidence in knowing that regardless of what the darkness is that we face, it cannot overcome your light. That you have come and you have shown your glory upon us. And we can rest in you. We can trust in you. And yeah, here it is. It hurts. It's real. It's painful. It stinks. I hate it. But in the midst of everything, you are still good. You are still worthy. You are still God. And this morning, I choose, I make this choice that I will give you all my worship. I will give you all my praise. And my, my worship and my praise, it's not dependent upon what you do for me. It's dependent on who you are. And so I worship you today. I worship you today. I worship you today. I worship you today. Worship you today. Yeah, come on. He's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy of our praise. Lift it up. A concert of praise. He's worthy of our praise.